This is the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hockey is more than a game. It's a lifestyle. It's you, the diehard supportive fans, your favorite players who are on the team you cheer for and the organization who supports them. The companies that make your gear, bags, and beer league sweaters, the hockey moms and hockey dads, and everything else that makes this House of Hockey your home. Come on in. I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. And And this this is is our our house. house. What's up, guys? You are listening to the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am one of the two hosts, Breezy. And I'm two of two hosts, Ray Ray. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this week, we, we travel to Russia. 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 Yes. I mean, not really. She, she was, she's in the States currently, obviously for, for reasons. Our guest is an international reporter uh, for the Continental Hockey League, the KHL. Her name is Jillian Kemmerer, and she was actually the first ever American to be embedded with a KHL team. She covers the uh, Red Stars, which are actually a team from, sorry, Red Star, not stars, plural. Uh, They're a team from China, but they play in the KHL, which isn't just Russia, which we also learned more about. It's a handful of countries. And she talked all about life on the road when she was traveling before COVID-19, like, doing these crazy long trips with the players and the team to go from like Russia to China and the time zone difference and like the talk about a tough travel schedule. Oh, don't mind the ghost behind me that just opened the door. <laughs> did you see that? I did, not, I did not even see it. And I, can we rewind? Wow. I mean, seriously. You, wait, I feel like we need a ghost story from you. You've been teasing ghost stories since we had uh, Corey on the podcast way back oh, yonder. I, I will. And, and I have one okay. that happened last night, actually. So that will <sighs> be part of my shut the front door segment. But uh, okay, we'll finish introducing um, Jillian. She's freaking <laughs> incredible. She tells us how she got into hockey and why she like actively wanted a job in the KHL. Um her inspiration to to cover the Russian hockey style of play um, and the what she did to achieve her dream was incredible and it's super inspiring. Plus, like lots of great stories about just hockey and hockey players and a, a DJ in China <laughs> <laughs> that really <laughs> bungled botched. uh yeah, <laughs> yeah botched, botched the playlist but she's also super knowledgeable and yes. stats and i mean she knows how to speak russian clearly she needs to have to do that but just the way she explained everything and kind of broke down the khl and the differences between that and the nhl and i don't know you just have to listen to it i mean it was so knowledgeable we did we heard so many stories, so many good things, and I feel like I learned a lot, and I feel like Russia is, like, a, a spot I want to go to now. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jillian really explained how skilled and competitive the KHL League is and just how many American players are really coming over there more and more now because the uh, accommodations have really gone up since, you know, the last 10 years as far as, you know, treating players with a, you know, a level of professionalism. How about, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we we're going to tread lightly here because, you know, it is Russia and this is Jillian's job. And, you know, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And also to what I thought was really cool and important was hearing how current NHL players, how they like to end up playing their final, you know, year or two of their career in Russia and the reasons for that. So Lots of lots of good info to come uh, when we bring her on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Anyway, in the meantime, I feel like I should just get right to this shut the front door segment. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned it, and now I'm shaking in my house slippers because I need to hear this ghost story. Your house slippers? What are you, 85? No! Okay, hotel slippers are so comfortable. I wear them all the time. They are, (laughs) but you said it like... My house slippers, like your slippers, like with your house coat and your house slippers. (laughs) (laughs) Just sounded okay. Okay, it did sound funny. My house Uh, slippers. Yeah. Whatever. They—that's what they're (laughs) called. Yeah. Shut the front door. It's time for a ghost story. This isn't even the craziest of experiences I've had, but. Last night uh, at my aunt's house in Maine, um, she's moving. I'm here helping her move. And we did a bunch of move yesterday, like took a lot of furniture out and stuff, you know, she doesn't need. And there was a lot of upheaval in the house and ghosts don't typically like that. And we came back and I came upstairs to, um, do a workout and all of a sudden I smelled this male cologne like so ever present like it was all around me like this smell of men's cologne that was like clean and crisp and it was very specific and there was no man in the house there I don't wear cologne and neither does my aunt we're very allergic to it and like perfume or anything like that. And I was like, do you smell that to my aunt? I said, do you smell that cologne? What is that? Where is that coming from? And she was like, no, I don't smell it, but that's the captain. I said, excuse me, what? (laughs) And she said, yeah, that's the the boat captain who has, who lives here, I think. Uh, Cause she lives right um, on the water near where boat captains probably would have lived. And she's like, yeah, he's just probably concerned with all the moving. And then all of a sudden she got a whiff of the smell and she was like, oh my God, yeah, I smell, I smell it now for sure. Uh, So I just told the captain, I said, don't attach to me. Don't worry. You can move to the new house with us if you want. Um, But I'm going to need to ask you to leave me alone because like, I just, I don't have time for that. (laughs) So I don't know. She said she's seen him before. Um, he'll like open doors and stuff and close doors. Like what he did just, just now. Probably. Just now. He was like, I'm, what are you doing in here? Okay, just making sure you're still here. I haven't I haven't left yet. So yeah. I make sure you haven't forgotten about me. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've also had an experience where I picked up a ghost at a bar back when I Ooh. lived in Orlando. A gypsy woman, like a real gypsy woman uh walked into this bar she had a rose she gave me this rose um I took it home I went to bed at like three in the morning I was woken up in that like panic right where you're like (gasps) power of the devil right and it was like I woke up I'm sweating what's wrong I check my phone nothing (laughs) and then all of a sudden in my bathroom I hear all the shampoo bottles and soap get washed off the shelves and they Every single one went clanging inside the tub. There was no window in the bathroom. I didn't shower. I didn't sleep shower. I was not in the bathroom. Oh my God. I was asleep. And I thought like you could just feel that energy that like something was there. And I just said, all right, I'm not dealing with this right now. And I threw the covers over my head and I went back to sleep. Uh, that next day, I just so happened to be producing a television show at the time, and our guest was a medium, a psychic Ooh. medium. So I let her do her segment on the show. I didn't say anything. And then I said, you know, I think like something's up at my house because I've never had anything happen before. And then just like out of the blue, this thing happened. And she goes, oh, he told me that you picked him up at a bar. Oh, and I said, so you're picking up course, ghost at bars. Of course, oh, of course I did. Like, <laughs> of course, that's what I would do. And uh, he's got and, like his arms wrapped around you. She picked me up at a bar. <laughs> like, what the fuck, really? So I, uh, I then I had to like think about it. And I was like, how on earth did that happen? And then I remembered the gypsy woman with the rose. So I went home that day, threw the rose out 
told the ghosts, like, listen, you are not allowed to stay here. If you have bad energy, like you can't be here. You need to go to the light. Like you got to leave me alone. Um, you're not welcome. So I go to bed that night. I literally turn the light off, lay down. And then I heard a knock on my bedroom door. The ghost was like, are you sure you don't want me? <laughs> are you sure you want me to leave? Oh my God. And I was like, I sprung up and I said, I do not have time for this. You have got to go. You've got to leave. I have a very early morning and I have a very stressful life. And you cannot be here. Sorry. And um, that was it. Never heard from him again. If people haven't already turned off the episode, uh, that's that story. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Breezy's a barbecue pit. This uh, this week, I'm not doing too much. On Sundays, we usually have, uh, it's like our family days, we usually have someone or a couple people over and, and hang out and talk and have a couple beverages. And I'm always the cook, obviously. So today I'm keeping it pretty simple, just doing a, a tomahawk steak, which is really cool. I haven't done one of those yet. So um uh, going to do that. And just some chicken. That's it. Any, but you don't just like do chicken. No, like, like I just do chicken. Like I just put chicken with salt and pepper in the oven and that's doing chicken. (laughs) That's doing chicken. Got it. What Uh, kind of spices are you putting on it? Like, what are you doing with chicken? Um, a family favorite is a seasoning from, um, this guy's name is Cosmos, Cosmos barbecue. He has a dirty burger seasoning. It is so good. Probably the best seasoning that's that's on the market, especially for chicken. But we've put it on steaks and pork chops and veggies and stuff like that. But it's by far the best on chicken, especially if you do. Sorry, guys, or don't if, if you don't like mayo, just don't listen to this. But if you do mayo chicken, you don't taste the mayo. Let me add that. But like you have to like put mayo on your chicken and like rub it all in. And then you put the seasoning on top and then the mayo like seeps into the chicken as it cooks and just makes it super juicy and tender. And then the seasoning goes like all the way through the the chicken. So uh, mayo chicken is, is the family favorite other than my barbecue chicken, but so we're going to do dirty bird mayo chicken with a tomahawk steak today. (laughs) I try. I try, I try, like I really do try. And somehow I just managed to fuck up something I'm cooking like out of one out of every four times I'm in the kitchen. So I feel like you'd be a good person to like give like a recipe to if like, like for me, like I'm trying to like, like if I was like to make like a cookbook or something, I should give you the recipe and see if you can make it based on like how I say it. Yes. Yeah, but like I don't know how accurate I'll be for you. But yeah, like if if I can master it, then yeah. like anybody can do it. Our podcast is proud to be on the Hockey Podcast Network. And the network is home to many other incredible podcasts, including this one. Some Enforcer Base Podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And now Semenko out in front of the goal, pounding away at Joe Kocher, who's down on the ice, holding the back of his head. Um, you know, actually, what, what really surprised me, especially with Twitter being like Leaf Nation, was Grimson over Colt Nor. That actually, that voting really surprised me. I didn't think that would happen. Don't forget to catch the Fourth Line Voice Podcast wherever you find your podcast, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Mark Bergevin. And everybody goes on and on with the whole PK thing and blah, oh, and he hated him because he doesn't like fun and blah, blah, blah. I have heard from a few people that Mark Bergevin's hilarious. No, this guy was a riot. Yeah, he would uh, be at the bar and he's like, oh, I just had a penis colada. And the girls would like give a double take and be like, what? He's like, yeah, I had the penis colada. You know, I. it's not bad. You know, enforcer based podcasting wherever you get podcasts from. This week's guest is an international sports journalist covering Russia's men's and women's hockey leagues. She is the host of the Face Off and Ice Diaries for the KHL. 
aka the Continental Hockey League. She is a self-proclaimed Russian hockey colluder and, this is so cool, the first American to work as a locker room reporter in the KHL. Welcome, Jillian Kammerer. Kammerer. You know, you nailed it. You just got to get the two er, er. Like, I get a lot of Kemmer, but you said them both. Kemmerer. Awesome. You both. Oh, well, anyway, welcome. I, I, I we have a me. lot of questions. So like, I'm not really sure where we're supposed to start here. Um, we were telling you before we started that we don't really know a whole lot about the KHL. Um, so before I think we dive into that, why don't you tell us how the hell did you end up in Russia <laughs> covering the KHL? <laughs> like you're an American, like how, that's got to be an incredible story. Like, do you, how do you Russian like I have a lot of questions it's okay like all of my friends and family um, have the same questions as well when I wound up over there um, I think it's easier to start from the very beginning of when I was a hockey fan because I grew up in the 90s when the first Russian players were playing in the NHL so guys like Sergei Fedorov Pavel Bure these like absolutely phenomenal Russians who were so hyper skilled and so irresistible to watch were kind of growing up in the NHL as I was growing up as a fan and kind of my most vivid first hockey memory because I grew up in the Philadelphia area was when the Detroit Red Wings swept the Flyers in the 97 Stanley Cup Finals, which caused me to cry so hard that I got a nosebleed, which was totally embarrassing. Oh um, I was hysterical, like I was beside myself. But the strange thing about them was that despite the fact that I was furious I couldn't stop watching them. Like the Detroit Red Wings really blew my mind. And the five Russian players that played for them that really set the stage for so many more, they just became a fascination of mine. Like I started buying books about Russian hockey and, you know, just it, it became this childhood obsession with Russian hockey that grew up as I got older into an interest in Russia and the region more broadly. So when I went to college, I was studying Russian history and Russian politics, and then I started traveling to the region. So it just so happened that I, I won a fellowship to move to Moscow um, and to study the language intensively, but work. So it was like, it came a little bit later after school. And uh, I picked up and left my TV job in New York and packed up my apartment and moved to Moscow. And my friends and my, especially my work colleagues were like, what? You know, it was just this like crazy, they thought it was, they thought it was a crazy decision at the time, but it was actually a decision that I think my whole life was leading up to. Um, so I, I went over and I would say the rest is history, but it was a lot more complicated than that. I was studying Russian. I was applying for jobs. I could not get anyone in hockey to take me seriously. I was reaching out on LinkedIn, emailing. It took me almost four months of constant LinkedIn messaging. Like, I was the biggest creep that ever creeped. <laughs> <laughs> on LinkedIn. And, you know, it was just this bizarre, you know, bizarre turn of events. And I actually had another job lined up and I used to work as a financial journalist and it was to go back to finance. And I came within a 24 hour window of not getting the job in hockey. And then in the middle of the night, a guy that I had been coming after and coming after messaged me and he was like, yeah, hi, um, can you get to the suburb of Balashika? Um, like at 5 p.m. on Saturday and our GM is going to be there and we're going to send a camera crew and can you just interview him there and we'll see how it goes. And like this is a team I had never worked with, had barely heard of. I stayed up all night <laughs> studying up on them, like roll up to this Russian suburb two hours early because I was so afraid about traffic, like killed time in a McDonald's and walked in and I walked into the locker room of Kunlun Red Star, which is a team that I've worked with as a locker room reporter and then eventually branched out to the league. But it was just this kind of crazy, um, a lot of hustling, but probably a, a meant to be road over to the KHL. So that's how I wound up there in the first place. Oh my God, that's fascinating. I, I just, I love that you took your passion for that skill and the sport and made it you made it happen for you no matter what and it was probably tough over in Russia those four months when you were like I I mean did you know anybody like I knew I knew virtually no one um I was so lucky that one of the people I had LinkedIn messaged even though he couldn't help me he got in touch with a guy who he thought could 
Um, and I think I still owe that man my life to this day. Like every time I see him, I'm like, how many drinks do you want? I'll buy them all. Can I, can I please like take care of your children? Like, what can I do for you? Um, like, I don't care. I will do anything you tell me. And so I just got so lucky and Kuhnland's a really interesting team in the K. So the KHL spans six countries and one of them more recently is China. And Kunlin traditionally is based in Beijing, although they're not right now because Beijing, um, they're unable to travel due to COVID travel restrictions. So the team is based outside of Moscow. But that team is, it's comprised of mostly North Americans. Um, and traditionally it was almost all North Americans. This season it's a little more split. So they needed an English speaking locker room reporter who could interact with their coaches and with their players. Whereas other teams that are based in continental Russia only have a small fraction of import players. So it was just a really lucky break that they were passing through Moscow. I got this opportunity to sit down with them. And then for the rest of the season, I either traveled to where they were in Russia or twice I went out to China, once to Shanghai and then once to Beijing when they moved there. So it wound up just being sort of the perfect meeting. And it's it's a very cool team. They have a, a relationship with the Chinese Olympic program. They're helping to get a Chinese team together for Beijing 2022 for the Winter Olympics. So it just felt like this perfect um, mix of all of my interests because I love the Olympics. I love how international hockey is. Um, but yeah, it was. I think it was... 90% luck and 10% hustle, or maybe, maybe like 80% luck, 20% hustle, something like that. Oh my God. Okay. So you were talking and telling us a little bit about the, the league. So tell us a little bit more about the KHL. So it's, you said six countries, six countries. Yes. What are the uh, countries and like how many teams like. So traditionally um, the team, the number of teams is 24. This season there's 23 because the team in the far east of Russia, which is Admiral Vladivostok, pulled out. Their main sponsor was hit with financial issues due to COVID. They could no longer finance a roster. So they pulled out for one season and then hopefully we'll be back uh, for the next one. And that's the intention. So traditionally it's 24 teams right now, 23. Uh, and the countries are China, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Russia, Latvia, and Finland. So it spans quite a few time zones. It spans, you know, a number of countries, a number of, at least this season, different COVID-19 regulations. So as you can imagine, it's quite a, like a complicated league to master and to travel in. And in fact, the travel schedule has more of an impact on the standings than you might think it would. So if you look at teams that are in the Far East, Kunlun Red Star, great example, in Beijing, teams, when they go to play Beijing, they stay on Moscow time or whatever time zone they're coming from. So they black out the bus, they wear blackout shades, they you know pull the curtains in their rooms, they practice at what's effectively you know late at night, but actually the afternoon their time, they play the game, they get on the flight, they go home, they don't adjust. But there are more teams grouped in the West than in the East. So Kunlun Red Star, when they go on a road trip, it's two or three weeks long. So they can't stay on Beijing time and play. So they fly over, they adjust. They get on the ice, they do this road trip for two, three weeks, and just when they're adjusted, they go home to Beijing, and within 48 hours, we'll be playing another team that's flying out to play them. So when you look at a team like that, there tends to be a breakdown toward the second half of the season, you know, especially if you have a slightly older roster, but I mean, old or young, jet lag is a really serious situation. Recovering from a 10-hour flight is a serious situation. So, you know, you'll watch them and they'll look great for the first period, great for the first half of the second, and it's like you're watching them power down. And the number of injuries and illnesses and the toughest push, the playoff push, January, tends to be enormous. Now, Kunlun's playing outside of Moscow this season. I'll be really curious to see, with a lot of familiar names on that roster, how do they do in that final push? They had a rough go at the start of the season because they were playing without their imports as COVID was restricting visas and whatnot. But when we get toward the end, when everybody has kind of gotten through the COVID crisis, hopefully, will they be stronger in the playoff push? Because being in the Eastern Conference, that Far East can be a bit of a disadvantage. So there's a lot of interesting layers that go into it. So many international players that play in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting league from like a geographic and cultural perspective. Definitely. I mean, it, there's it's a wide range. I had no idea that even it went down into to China and whatnot. So that's pretty crazy. So what's the difference between you know, the KHL and the NHL game-wise? Same rules? The KHL like follows international rules. Um, so they're only very slightly different. I think the big differences um, usually come down, and traditionally I'll say, because it's changing, to the ice size. 
So the KHL for a long time was predominantly on Olympic sized ice, which in meters is 30 by 60. So it's, it's wider, much wider than North American ice. But now as we see the IIHF trending toward North American sized ice, they're phasing out the Olympic ice sheets. So now the teams play on Finnish sized ice, which is like a hybrid and North American. And there's, you know, maybe one or two holdouts still on the Olympic ice sheet, but that won't be the case after 22. Um, so the ice size used to be really the biggest difference. It drove some differences in play. If you talk to a guy like Reed Boucher, who was a point sniper in the AHL, comes over this season, he said to me, I would find myself throwing away the puck thinking a hit was coming, but in reality, I had a lot more time than I thought I did to make the play because I had more space on the ice, more room to work with. When you talk about goalies, they have to think about the adjustment of their angles night in and night out. A guy like Ilya Sorokin, who just signed with the Islanders, told me um, in January, when I'm doing fine, I don't notice it, but when I'm going through a rough go, all of a sudden I notice every little difference. And all of a sudden I have to think about the timing when I'm playing a puck from behind the net. And those are all really interesting nuances that North Americans in particular, when they come over, have to adjust to. The game is slightly less physical from that perspective. It's a little bit slower. I would say some guys will say to me, and, and Jake Chelios, the son of Chris Chelios, who's playing over at Kuhnland, has said a few times, it feels more momentum-based. It almost feels more like soccer. Um, some of the Russian teams tend to play quite defensively. They might lay back and trap. Whereas some of the North American import coaches, like Bob Hartley, for example, who won the Stanley Cup and, and now is over in the KHL coaching, he tries to play a more North American run-and-gun style. So as more import coaches come over, as more import players come over, the styles are going to merge. But as of right now, you still definitely see some of that heavy Russian influence. You do see some differences in ice sizes, but that will increasingly become less of a factor. And I think the KHL and the NHL, in terms of playing style, it's, it's going to converge more and more as the years go on. Crazy. I had no, well, I mean, when did the, has it always been a bigger ice sheet or has it, did it only occur when, I mean, I'm going to sound really dumb right now, but like when they started to like play on like Olympic terms or whatever that would be. <laughs> They traditionally always played on larger ice. Um, that okay. was something that that's a tradition that's been in place for a while. The North American size is more recent of a phase in um, because the IIHF now is saying they're going to play their world championships, et cetera, on North American sized ice. So as that happens and now these arenas need to come into, you know, some kind of code or conformity. And if Russia wants to host more international events, these arenas are going to have to conform to that. The hybrid sized ice is, I believe, 28 by 60. So it's only a few meters wider. It does make a difference, but it's it's not a sizable difference. And that is going, I think, to dominate the league for now. But you are seeing some teams like St. Petersburg playing on North American ice. St. Petersburg, I think it's important to consider, has produced a lot of first round draft picks. It produced Igor Shostyorkin in New York. These players are coming over just ever so slightly more prepared for North America in the sense because they were playing on North American sized ice to begin with at home in Russia. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So then how is the so the players coming from the KHL and even just Russia in general, like the ones who are playing on North American ice, they have an easier time playing in the NHL. But if they're not, do they have a significantly harder time? playing and then a third question is like yeah. <laughs> how is the skill level of like from what you were talking about in the 90s that Russian skill of hockey which I think really changed the way Americans play hockey 100%. even in the NHL right so like how so it seems like it's almost the reverse now where the um, the well or it's like coming full circle rather where the ice size is now changing in Russia, but like, how is that impacting the skill level and the style of play for the, the KHL and the Russian players? So the a skill lot, level- like a lot of questions. I, that wasn't very pointed. <laughs> Tell yet. me if I don't hit all of them. I'm going to try. I'm going <laughs> to give it my good college try. So the skill level of Russian players um, is something that I find very fascinating. And I've talked to, and in fact, just yesterday, I was talking to a development coach in Yaroslavl, um, who is an American guy, and he's, he's over there working with the young kids there. And I said, what do you classify as why these Russian players are so notorious for their stick handling, so revered for their creativity? What is it about the Russian system that gives them those hands? And he says to me, you know, everyone drills skills and not every KHL team has a skills coach, 
but he said, when I see Russian kids, they are in the street stick handling. They're in their rooms, stick handling. Their parents are super hyper invested in asking for tips and wanting to know what their son can do at home to improve his play, what their daughters can do at home. Russia has a phenomenal women's league. Um, so they're constantly asking how the kids can develop this individualized skill set. And it is something that work ethic, the kind of family involvement, all of that is something that I think has always been the case in Russia. And of course, back in the Soviet Union times, these Russian players were growing up essentially in an army barracks situation. They were going home only one month a year. They were constantly practicing, constantly playing. That's not true today, but the kids are still, they have this very individualistic attitude when it comes to taking responsibility for constantly practicing. And they always have a ball. They always have the puck. They're just constantly working on that. And skills coaches and, and hockey schools as they grow up and mature in Russia are playing off of that. And they are working to help these students become these incredible stick handlers. But in terms of the transition back and forth, mm -hmm. Russian players often have a hard time making the transition to the NHL. Not always. And in fact, I think as we go on, it's becoming less of a thing. Um, but very often I boil that down to things that are happening off the ice as opposed to what's happening on it. Yes, they have to get used to the speed and physicality. If they're not great skaters and if they're allergic to being physical, then they're going to have a very, very hard time in the North American game. No question. But most of these guys, given how international, you know, hockey has become, they're playing in the Olympics, playing for their national team, playing with import players in the KHL increasingly, they're, they get more and more used to it. And you can't sit here and say, oh, well, they can't play a physical game. They can. And some, I think some teams and some coaches in the KHL increasingly demand that. But very often what I think it boils down to is, a, how is the organization helping them ease that transition? And B, what effort did they make to learn English? Who set expectations for them upon arrival in North America? Um, how are they navigating the fact that maybe they go to the supermarket, they can't read the labels, they go on the team bus and nobody can joke around with them? How do you develop chemistry with line mates that you can't joke around with and talk to? How do you deal with the fact that a coach is running a drill and maybe you don't fully understand the directions? Import players in the KHL, suffer these issues all the time. Um, and I think with so many eyes and so much pressure, it can really, it can really hamper sometimes these players. A guy like Vadim Shapachev, I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, he really struggled in North America. He really struggled in Vegas. He is consistently by other players, by imports and by Russians, pointed out to me as one of the most brilliant hockey minds they've ever played against. The skill, the decision-making, all of it comes together in Shapachev's game but he really had a hard time in North America. And I think some of his hard times stemmed from his adjustment off the ice. For the North Americans going to the K, there is certainly an adjustment. If you're coming from the NHL, you know, you've played in the most elite league in the world, but a lot of them will say to you, the KHL is an immensely skilled league. And naturally with so many Europeans, that would be the case. Wow. I think you answered all of my questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you really explained it. I think it's a really interesting, it's, it, there's so many more uh, uh, players coming from the KHL and Russia in general that come over to the NHL and some have had uh, immense success. Uh, but obviously a lot of them, you know, we're, we don't hear about the tough times that they had of, of all the very important things that you mentioned of being able to build that chemistry and that connection and everything with their teammates and shit, I can't even imagine like a coach, trying to explain something to me and I have like no clue what they're saying, going to the grocery store, not being able to figure out what is this thing. And like, you just got to like hope and pray that one of these American guys is going to try to like, you know, guide you in the right way. And, and I think it's hard. Like Russians in the NHL do well in packs, whether we're talking about Detroit yeah. of the late nineties, early two thousands, we're talking about the New York Rangers now. I mean, there's so many examples over time, Tampa Bay, this past season. Yeah. Russians do well when they have more than one Russian in that locker room. It's an insular culture. It's one where they feel very strongly toward their families, their culture, their language. Having that outlet, the Rangers of the 90s, a great example of some of the first Russians that were coming over. You know, really, they do function well when they have a community around them. And I think teams in North America are increasingly becoming wise to that. And they're realizing, okay, I have to treat this player like an investment. You don't just invest in something and then walk away. If you're an activist investor, I'm like going back to my Wall Street days. Like, <laughs> okay, you make this huge investment, but then you, you sit someone on their board. You're constantly, constantly monitoring them. You're doing your due diligence. You're asking the right questions. 
you have to treat a highly drafted Russian player the same way with like any other international player and easing their transition is only going to pay dividends for the organization later. And I do see increasingly that's the case, but Sergei Fedorov, who's now on the board of, of red army in Moscow told me, you know, just maybe last year at this time that he thinks there's a sweet spot for Russian players to come over. And he thinks it's a little bit older. He thinks it's more in like that 22 to 24 range. Now, of course he has a vested interest. He wants to keep some players in the red army system naturally, but when you look at guys like, I don't know, Igor Shostyorkin, for example, or hopefully Kirill Kaprizov, who I have high hopes for this season in Minnesota, they are coming over at that time. They're coming over with confidence in their playing ability. They're coming over with Gagarin Cup champions under, championships under their belts and Olympic gold medals in some cases. You know who you are at that point, and I think you can weather the storm a little bit more easily. And a lot of these guys are now learning English, which I think is a big wow. deal. Oh, yeah. Now, what is the perception in, let's just talk about the country of Russia, like what is the perception for people who live there when they see Russian players become successful in the NHL? Like, do they, is that the ultimate or is it, you know, the Olympic team or like, what is that perception of like the Ovechkins and things of the, of the world and like the the Tampa, the guys on the Tampa Bay Lightning who are from Russia, like what is that perception back home? Well, first of all, the Olympics, it's such a great point that you bring that up because national team uh, participation and performance is a big deal for a lot of Russians. Ilya Kovalchuk crossed the pond to play in the K to ensure that he was going to get to play for that 2018 Olympic team. Kirill Kaprizov is very beloved in Russia, not just because he was a winner with Red Army, but also because he was a fundamental part of that Olympic victory. The Russians take Olympic and international hockey very seriously. But that being said, I mean, Andrei Vasilevsky, for example, he's home uh, in Ufa. Not, that's not technically where he's from, but it's where he grew up in the hockey school. They constructed the most incredible mural and had him sign it dedicated to him. They were tweeting as soon as he won, you know, this is our first guy from our hockey school to win the Stanley Cup. Like there's immense pride in that. The Russians love the NHL. Yandex is a kind of like the Russian Google in a sense. It has a huge platform. It has streaming services. It has maps. It has the effectively Uber on it. It's, it's a very, very big tech conglomerate. They signed a deal with the NHL to broadcast all NHL games on their streaming service for free. So you can watch the entire regular season and the entire postseason if you're a user of Yandex for free. And that's a really big deal and a big play. Yes. Exactly. And now, increasingly, as these guys come over, if you grew up in Ufa going to the games, you're going to want to keep track of where Rodion Amirov goes when he comes over to the NHL naturally. So, yeah, I mean, the NHL is universally the most competitive hockey league in the world. And as many players are kind of coming over to the NHL to play, there are a lot of players from the NHL coming back over to the K. You see guys at the ends of their careers coming over. You see guys on loan this season because everything's so up in the air. So you're seeing a, an interesting ebb and flow on both sides of, of talent. So naturally, you're going to want to track where your favorite players go and come back. I know you brought up uh, Kovalchuk, and he – had some drama when he was in the uh, the NHL when he left uh, New Jersey to go back to play for uh, to play in Russia. Do you know if he brought the drama to Russia with him? Like, was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a big deal out here. And um, yeah, when he came, when then and then he came back, and it was like, ooh, you're, it's like you're coming back to an ex, and that's it. Just wasn't. <laughs> I feel like he had a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. So he's like a showman in every sense of the word on the ice and off of it. Like, do you remember when LA goes on the road trip? They don't bring him and he's Instagram and pictures of like having an ice cream with the geotag LA, like just to let everybody know he was left yeah. on that roster. Like I was, yeah. I was dead. Like I was like, that is, that's petty and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. So he went over Scott St. Petersburg um, is one of the most moneyed teams in the KHL they're a feeder for the national team. If you look at their, their coaching bench, it's very often a carbon copy of what you'll see on the Olympic team or the world team coaching bench. So it's a team with very strong ties to the Federation, a lot of money. And that year, they knew they were going to have a lot of talent. You know, you had Dotsuk playing there, Kovalchuk mm -hmm. playing there. So like, A, they had to take the Gagarin Cup home. Like they just had to, it was their year. And B, it was this, you know, kind of, 
virtuous circle going into the national team and preparing for the Olympics. So I think Russians in general love when their guys come back. Um, Alex Semin and Pavel Datsuk are still playing and they're playing in the KHL right now. So generally speaking, like Russians really welcome that. They're really excited. And for him to come, I mean, granted, he was older when he came back, but he's, he wasn't at the tail end of his career. He wasn't at the very end. To come back in the midst of that and to do it in service of getting a place on the national team, like that would win immense points from, from the Russian audience for sure. Wow. No idea. I was like, oof, risky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His little like dance in LA, we were covering that a lot. I was working for a Russian newspaper it's called Sport Express. And it was like, Jillian, can you call every LA reporter you can get your hands on and ask them what's going on over there? Like, what, what do the fans think? And actually, the LA fans were kind of sympathetic to him um, for a while because he just wasn't being played. And even toward the end of the season, when he had virtually no playing minutes, he still after the start of the season was like among the better players standings wise and granted LA had absolutely blown up that season. So I think there was a little bit more sympathy in North America uh, for him, given that there were coaching changes and everybody was pissed. Um, But yeah, in Russia, like especially further back when he went back to play for the K, he was like welcomed home as the, uh, the, the absolute prodigal son. But I have a friend who has a (laughs) mug and it says, stupid Kovalchuk money and then the New Jersey Devils um, logo and like dollar bills floating out of it and I, it's like the funniest <laughs> mug I've ever seen because it really like stupid Kovalchuk money is a classification of currency I think. Oh my god yes for <laughs> sure. Um, you were talking about a little bit about the fans in LA but what are, what are the fans like in the KHL and how do you know we how would you compare them to NHL fans let's just go with that. So A lot of people that come over to the K will say the KHL reminds me more of a European soccer game than it does of the NHL. The the fans, they love drums, they love flags and they chant Um, and they chant and they chant and they chant. And it's, it's like, it's hilarious. And so if you go to a St. Petersburg game, St. Petersburg has phenomenal fans and a phenomenal arena and it's smaller, obviously they have a smaller ice. So you just kind of feel like you're in it. Um, Probably not smaller capacity wise, but you know, you get this feeling that you're a little bit more enclosed in. Salavat Yulayev and Ufa killer fans and they travel and they chant and they sing and they bring their flags and they, they beat the drum wherever they go. So you have some really passionate fan bases in the K stadium culinary selections have a lot to be desired. Like, I don't know. I absolutely would not eat a hot dog. I've never had popcorn that wasn't burnt. Like there's the stadium food selections. Like you're not getting your Shake Shack. You're not getting your like bespoke cocktails on the mezzanine level. Like it's not having, and you can't drink. You cannot drink in the arena, which is a big thing in Europe. Like in the soccer stadiums, for example, you, you can't drink in the hockey arenas. You cannot drink. So you better be, you know, nice and happy before you walk in the door or else that's the end of that. So, you know, they, they have had some dramas with that. Europe in general has had a lot of dramas with alcohol and stampedes and other things. So it's, it's a very like touchy subject and around the world cup in Russia, I was there for it. Like it it was a big deal. Um, But yeah, in terms of the in stadium experience, it's a lot different than the NHL. It's like less of a show around the game it's more the game maybe you get a musical act or something at the beginning but you know you're not going there because you want like your epic carnitas taco and your like freshly shaken margarita it's just not happening you're gonna get a really bad hot dog and a soda americans are the worst oh we're so (laughs) lame we're like we're not going we need carnitas and like all this stuff to in order to get our asses into the stadium that's so lame we need to be more russian I'm, you heard it here first. I mean, I don't Meanwhile, know. I'm sitting there and I'm like, can I just have a margarita? Like, would that really be too much to ask? Like, could I just have one? But no. Yeah. Uh, alas, it's all about the game. Oh my God. <laughs> That's what I go for. I go to hockey games and I'm pretty sure Breezy does too, to go see hockey. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a nice bonus of having uh, those really nice carnitas at, uh, Although. <laughs> at the Although. So in Finland at Jokeritz Arena, um, because they have a big sauna culture, they actually have sauna VIP boxes where you can like sit in the sauna and then like pop out and watch the game and then like go back and sit in the sauna. So that to me sounds epic. I haven't experienced that yet, but I was like, okay, kudos. That That's interesting. Oh my God. I'm that's here weird. for that. I'm here for that. <laughs> me too. That is an experience, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, that, that is an experience. <laughs> oh my God. So what other like kinds of stories do you have? Do you have any really good player stories, whether they are in the KHL or, you know, NHL players, maybe that have come and gone, like what kind of fun stories can you tell us? Because we love hearing good stories uh, about the guys who play. Um, let's see. I, I've got it. Actually, the weird, this is going to sound like a strange tangent, but the weirdest interaction I've ever had in the KHL was with an arena DJ, not even with a player. Like the players are fine, but like I had this crazy run in with this guy in Shanghai. Um, so just to begin with KHL uh, music selections circa 1997, you're really not going to go further than that. They're getting better in like Moscow and St. Petersburg, but Bahaman always on rotation. No. Fanstorm every game the theme to ducktales i can't even explain that they play it there so like you got some weird musical selections to begin with to begin with um but kunlin rudstar was playing in shanghai and it was a temporary home so like it wasn't this great it wasn't really a, a hockey stadium right it was like a place where kids practiced figure skating on the weekends it was like more of a rink you know a hockey community hockey rink than an arena um, so they didn't really have this stadium experience. They didn't have a ton of fans. They knew they were moving to Beijing, but the warm up playlist was terrible. It was like, it was like Nokia ringtone status. And I just, I was beside myself and the players, because I was their locker room reporter and I was working actually within the organization, I felt really bad for them because they were losing and losing and losing. Again, we're talking about second half of the season when these guys have been traveling back and forth for a long time. It was just a rough go. So I went to the locker room and I'm like, guys, give me a couple songs that you want to hear. You know, what do you guys play in the locker room? And let me see if Google Translate and I can convince the DJ to play them. So they give me like Drake. They liked the song called Sunday Morning by Matoma. Like they, they gave me a couple songs. They wanted to come out to Going Bad by Meek Mill. I'm like, okay. So I bring, I cut all these songs. I bring them on a, like a little flash disc and I bring them up to the DJ and I'm like, hi, you know, really sorry to bother you. Um, the players, and this is me via Google translate. Cause I don't speak Chinese. Like the players would like it <laughs> if you played these songs when they warmed up, I've labeled them for you and I've numbered them. So you just go play one, play two, play three, play four, play five. And he's like, yes, warm up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, here, here are the songs and like, here's the list. And like, can you play them in the center? He's like, yep, warm up. I'm like, okay, like, great. So I go downstairs. I have to get on the bench to film them while they're getting ready to warm up. Meek Mill comes on. They start skating out. I'm like, my man, like he did it. And then as the song is playing and I'm like trying to videotape them for their Instagram live, all of a sudden, like, I'm hearing a little bit of Drake and I'm hearing like a little bit of Kanye and then like a little bit of Matoma. This man thought it would be a good idea to play all five warm-up songs at the exact same time. So we're talking like all five tracks playing simultaneously. Drake, Kanye, Meek Mill, Matoma. And I'm like, it sounds like a fun house in here. It was insane. It sounded crazy. And the players are like trying to warm up, but they're also looking at me because here I am the asshole that went up there to try to fix it. So like, they're looking at me like, good job, Jillian. And I'm looking and like the guy, he's up in the booth and he's like, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm going to kill you. Like, yeah, yeah, great. And, and I'm just standing there filming them. And it was just the biggest nightmare. I was so humiliated. So the long story short is I don't interfere in KHL music selections anymore like whatever they want they want to play DuckTales play it like I'm in that's fine well at least it's not like a super embarrassing thing like it's more funny than like oh my gosh this is insane like I would be more embarrassed by mispronouncing names because there are some crazy names if I were embarrassed about that I couldn't work there because (laughs) I and I really I'm a stickler about trying so like I will I ask my Russian friends and they'll laugh when they watch this I will send them a surname and I'll be like can you send me back a voice note where you repeat this name five times and they do and so I have this hilarious file of all these names being said over and over again by like my various friends who are like yeah okay fine so they send it back to me and I try to to switch up who I ask so that it's not really annoying but there's a team in the KHL um, that I have to say on the regular and you know, the last names are one thing, but Nyeftikimiknizhnikomsk is one of the most difficult team names to spit out. I think it has to be in the history of hockey. 
And it's like, it's an interesting name because Neftekimek, it's oil and petrochemicals. And that's kind of what the history of what the city is about and its industry. And the city is Nizhnikomsk, but like spitting that out when you're like, and Kuman Redstar is playing Neftekimek Nizhnikomsk. Like you just kind of have to, you just have to go for it. You just, you have to spit it out. So that's, that one is the one that I stress about before I have to say it. Even to this day, I'm like, please don't be playing Neftekimek. Please don't be playing Neftekimek because I'm going to have to say that out loud. It's so good. Tell us more about life in Russia. So what's the, when, when you're covering a season, let's pretend we're not in the middle of all the things that are happening around the world. Like, what does that, like, do you live in Moscow or do you live, like you were saying that you travel sometimes with um, the team that you cover, like, what's life like there? So I've, I've done this a couple of ways. So with the exception of the year of our Lord 2020, which has been, you know, bizarre <laughs> and working 100% remotely. Um, I used to, I used to be completely based in Moscow. And so for example, the Moscow region has a huge number of teams. So it's fairly easy to get around. One of the Eastern conference teams, a team called Avangard plays in Balashika, which is a suburb of Moscow. Traditionally, they play in Siberia, but they're having their arena built. So they're playing temporarily um, outside of Moscow. So like, that's a good place to base yourself. And you can take the bullet train to St. Petersburg, which is phenomenal. Or, you know, for other further out cities like Ufa, et cetera, you have to fly. Um, I did do the, the Moscow, Shanghai, Moscow, Beijing route. That's a super, super long flight. Um, like a rid- like ridiculous that that's a road trip. Like it's not. It, like when it becomes a red eye, it's not a road trip anymore. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So that's a big one. Um, and Kunlun played also briefly in the south of China in Shenzhen. I took a 20 and a half hour route to get there, which I don't even want to talk about. But last season, because I was splitting more evenly between going to Russia and going to China, Um, I home-based here and worked remotely half the month. And then the other half of the month, I was either in Moscow or China. And that happened up until December. Um, December hit, COVID hit. I went to Russia in January. um, And then I went back to Russia again for the women's finals. And I was there up until they they basically closed the border. So the women's, the Kunlun women's team, the Chinese women's team, won the Russian league last season. It was their first season in the league. Um, It was the first title China has ever won in hockey. So just absolutely enormous. Team was filled with like a bunch of famous North American players, Chinese nationals, um, North Americans of Chinese descent, like fascinating team. So they're lifting the cup. I'm with them. We're all at a club like at two o'clock in the morning in Ufa and they're like drinking their champagne out of the cup, everything else. And I get this phone call and it's like, you've got to come back to America. They're going to close the border on Friday. And this was Wednesday night going into Thursday morning. And I was like, holy crap. And I wasn't in Moscow. I was in Ufa. So I was still a connection out from getting back to JFK. So I went straight from the nightclub to my hotel, packed up everything. I wound up having to leave camera equipment in Ufa because I couldn't get to the arena and have it unlocked. And it's still there to this day. So God bless that camera equipment, wherever the hell it is. And I got on the flight and just came home. And I walked in, you know, basically Thursday night, um, New York time, and the border was closed the next day. So it was it was terrifying. So like sometimes moments like that are a little wild, but you know, the the experience of the KHL is quite cool. And the fact that it's so international is interesting. And if you go to their all-star week. There's just this great kind of sense of humor about it. The mascots are out kind of like bashing each other. And then they always, not always, but often do an outdoor component. And this year they did the outdoor game on Red Square. So like you have all of the buildings of Red Square and it's like lightly snowing. They actually put, they, they chose the women's all-star event to have, to have the outdoor moment in Red Square. So you had a team of women's all-stars against a team of like a bunch of famous Russian commentators and others that play hockey. Alexei Yashin was the captain of that team. And it, like samovars of, of mulled wine and like all of these traditional Russian things. And it was just the most incredible experience. So there are moments like that where, you know, I think the NHL from a playing perspective, from a watching perspective is so exciting. But I think to myself, I, like I couldn't be more grateful to have had the experience to see the way they do things here because it's just a part of the world a lot of people don't go to, and that's very stigmatized, I think, on both sides. And it feels just really special to kind of get to go back and forth and share a little bit of, of what's happening over there. 
to put the women's all-star out in the middle of it over like guys who are, you know, these prodigies of, of the men's hockey league in Russia and even playing over in the North American league. I mean, that says a lot about the players over uh, the women's players over there as well. It's so cool. So the KHL has taken kind of like an NBA WNBA um, perspective when it comes to raising women's hockey, like they are now, not in charge of the league, but they are financing it. They're providing a lot of expertise. They're providing a lot of staff. They're helping the women to get more coverage on KHL TV, which is kind of like the equivalent of NHL network. When we were, you know, celebrating the victory of the Chinese women's team, KHL TV was playing on the TVs in the bar and they were showing the highlights of those games. Like I was broadcasting for CCTV, the Chinese channel, as well as a little bit for KHL TV. And like just the fact that they had dedicated so much resources to covering that. The women's all-star game had this phenomenal like light show at the beginning with a sky on skates with a, a violin and these lights popping up. And, and they made the women's all-star game like part of that week. So anyone that came to Moscow for the men's all-star week, if they wanted to make a vacation out of it, could do both. And it, they just really mm-hmm. tried to be inclusive about it. They had women's all-stars demonstrating the skills competition events uh, for the men's all-star game. So like when they were having their skills competition, it was actually some of the women that were out there doing the demonstrations. They had women referees out. Like The, the integration is really special and really cool. And, and they've given these women a league where they can make a living playing hockey, which is not a universal everywhere. And a lot of the women that play over there will say, you know, it's, it's an, an opportunity we're immensely grateful for. It's not a universal or a given everywhere else. Well, if you're a, a girl and you want to play professional hockey, I guess you got to uh, go over there. Hop on <laughs> over. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more stories. I'm sure you could tell about your experience over there and the incredible talent that you've been able to interview um they're playing away they're they're currently going into it's the only one really and one of the only ones in the world well europe is functioning a bit on hockey front but if we compare it to north america obviously the north american leagues aren't playing yet um but yeah they're playing they'll go into their postseason in late february early march and then their postseason will run through april so anytime you want i'm here it was such a pleasure and it's awesome to see women's hockey reporters killing it. It just, it makes me so happy. So keep doing what you're doing. Same to you. Um, we have, you. we have three final questions that we ask all of our guests. Yeah. So we're going to hit them, hit them, hit you with them. Who is your favorite hockey hunk? Favorite hockey hunk, Sergei Fedorov circa the mid nineties. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. And who is your favorite hockey lady? Well, I am talking to the hockey lady right now, so I think I've got new candidates for favorites. Um, no, you don't have to say me that or breezy. That's very sweet, but no, um, I love. I do love Nora Ratu. She's the goaltender of the Chinese women's team. Um, Finnish, four-time Finnish Olympian, one of the best goalies in the world, um, and just a real advocate for women in hockey. So she's one of my favorites too. I love it. And breezy, <laughs> you ask the final question and give her a little explainer. Okay, so Sidney Crosby is, uh, I guess, notably one of the best in the entire world. Uh, Every single time we pretty much have somebody on our podcast, we always say hit us with a story. It's usually a Sidney Crosby story. So rather than just being surprised, now we ask it. Do you have a Sidney Crosby story? Do I have a Sidney Crosby story? It would make sense if you didn't, but it would be even more on par with the, our theme here if you did, because you did. It, would, it would have no rhyme or reason why you would. I don't, I mean, it's not my story, but my favorite Sidney Crosby story is I think I saw a video and I swear it was him where this, like these kids brought their grandma to a game. And she had never been to a live game before. And she's this huge Sidney Crosby fan. So when they rolled up to the arena, she cried. Like they were like, Grandma, you're going to go see Sydney. And she was like, oh, like Sydney Crosby. So like, it's not my story, but I remember being like, go grandma. Like who knew that Sydney Crosby was big with the grandmas? Like that's sick. I love it. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Well, tell everybody where they can 
keep up with you, where they can follow you, where they can follow the teams um, in the KHL, where can we, how can we watch the games in the U.S.? Is that allowed? Complicated. Um, <laughs> it, do you want to watch it in English or Russian? So I believe still once a week, 11 sports broadcasts, uh, an English language KHL game. Um I, you know, for me, I usually log into the KHL's platform to watch with the Russian commentary. It helps me. It helps my, my Russian retention. Um, a lot of people resort to onhockey.tv. Um, the streams, you could get anything from like the local stream that's broadcasting their local team to the KHL TV stream. So there's usually a bunch of options. Um, that's usually the most common that I hear. Um, and then the highlights actually for the KHL every day are posted with English commentary. Um, my friend Andre does them. He has this like great voice. He does a great job. So KHL's YouTube channel is a good place. Um, and then for my stuff, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Jillian Kemmer. I'm on Instagram at Caviar Diplomat. Caviar Diplomat's the name of my blog. Um, and I send out, a, I have a paid email subscription now for a couple bucks a month. I tell like interesting stories from behind the iron curtain, et cetera. And, and I have a, a public blog too, which is the Caviar Diplomat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Good luck this season. And thank you. Uh, come back anytime you want. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I'll, I'm going to come, I'm going to create a Sydney Crosby story. So that way I have one, like whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it. I think you need to make that happen. I'm, and I, I'm and I believe you will be able to do that. <laughs> Thank just, you for the vote of confidence. <laughs> just based on your determination to get to Russia and work in the, or not necessarily Russia, but to get to the KHL and Russia and be able to be a reporter there. I know we'll have a Sydney Crosby story from you within the next. You're going to be like, do you have a Sydney Crosby story? And I'll be like, Hey, Sydney, like, could you come over here for a second? So we'll work on it. <laughs> I need a story. Exactly. Thanks again so much, Jillian. Thanks for coming over to our house of hockey podcast and hanging out with us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Just look for house of hockey podcast. We'll be back next week.